Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the opportunity to look into Your Word once again. And Father, I pray that You pour out power by Your Holy Spirit in this place. Father, there is nothing in me that could bring this Word forth. But Father, the Holy Spirit can touch our hearts. And Father, I ask You to come and touch our hearts. Father, lift up the name of Jesus in this place. And Lord, I pray for each heart here. You know where each heart is. You know their position in You. You know their struggles. You know their joys. You know their pains. And Lord, I pray that they would be different because of this morning, that they would be changed. That You would change hearts because of this morning. Father, I pray that You would lift up the brokenhearted, that You would give hope to that, that, that one who is wandering. Father, that You would give hope. Father, expose us Teach us and draw us closer to You. And I lift up this time and ask You to do a great work. Amen. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus cried out, stood and cried out saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to Me and drink. And he who believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to Me and drink. Paul then says, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, Paul says, but I am afraid for you. That as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so you too might be led astray, so your minds might be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds too would be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Jesus Christ. Paul said it is really so simple. And I pray that your minds do, do not be led astray from the simplicity that's in Christ. The portion I'm going to teach out of today is Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. Matthew 6, verses 5 through 15. And it's a portion where Jesus was teaching His disciples to pray. Matthew 6, verses 5 through 15. And there's a parallel portion in Luke chapter 11, starting at verse 1, where one of His disciples said, Jesus, would you, Lord, would You please teach us to pray? And in response to that request, that Jesus teach them how to pray, He said the very same thing that's referenced here in Matthew chapter 6. I am no expert on prayer. I struggle just like you do. The same struggles you have, I have. But Jesus has given us an outline to help us. And this has helped me enormously. Really amazing what happens when we obey Him. This is the outline that He has given us to pray. I don't know if you've ever gone through this where you go to pray and your mind is here and here and here and everywhere. But prayer. 
Jesus gives us an outline here. In verse 5, he says, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, And when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So what he begins to tell us is that there is great reward in prayer. If we will pray, there is reward. And in fact, he says, when you pray, there's an expectation that we will do this. And he says, when you do, just remember, the Father who sees in secret is going to reward you. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. He says, when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Isn't it interesting that he says, do not pray as the Gentiles do, with meaningless repetition. I know that prayer books are a treasure to many of us. Jesus is not speaking very highly of prayer books here. He wants us to learn how to speak in prayer to Him. He says we are not to be as the Gentiles do. Every Gentile religion, other than Christianity, uses prayer books as their sole means of prayer. Islam, for example, uses a prayer book, a prayer sequence, exact prayer sequence for every time of day, for every day that, go, that you go through, you pray this prayer. And in fact, it is valued in Islam according to its writings, that it is more valuable to pray according to the rote prayer than according to extemporaneous prayer. But here, Jesus is saying, do just the opposite. Leave that pattern and learn how to pray extemporaneously to God, where you speak to God. But in that, we're never to be just willy-nilly wherever we want. He is giving us here an outline. He says, when you pray, here's an outline. You know what an outline is. Boom, bullet point. And then under that, we fill in. Here is what he says. This will help you to pray. This will help you to set your pattern in prayer. So he says in verse 8, So do not be like them, he's meaning the Gentiles, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. So he says, pray in this way, in this manner. He doesn't say pray these exact words. We call this the Lord's Prayer, which is an interesting name because it's just the opposite. It's the prayer that he told us to pray, not his prayer. He says, pray in this way. This is the manner. This is the outline. This has helped me enormously. Following this outline, my mind so often gets more fixed on the Lord. He says, start like this. Our Father who was in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He says, pray to your Father. Your Father. You know, every prayer of Jesus that's documented, He says either Father or my Father. Every one of His prayers. Except when He was on the cross, He was separated from God. There was this judicial relationship at this point, And He says, oh God, my God. But other than that, it's Father or my Father. He says a pattern to pray is address your father. Call him your father. 
Hallowed is your name. Hallowed be your name. Start by praising God. Praise Him. And I thank God for my job. I thank God for my family. I thank Him for what He's given me. I thank Him for my career. I thank Him for my friends. I thank Him for the things that He's done in my life. I thank Him for the blood of Christ, which washes me clean. You start by thanking God and saying, God, You are wonderful for what You have done in my life. You are so wonderful. You start that way. And you start. Jesus has given us a method. They said, teach us to pray. So He gave us a method. What do we want? We want Him to give us another method because we won't use this one? This is what He gave us. Use it. He says, pray in this way. So we start by praising His name. Then He says in verse 10, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Boom, there's bullet point number two. So what you do is you get alone. You go into your inner room. You shut the door. And you pray to your Father. Put away your prayer book and pray to your Father. And I have no problem with you picking up the book of Psalms and praying that back to the Lord, but use it in this pattern. And you don't have to pray a specific psalm on a specific day under a specific event. You use that as you like. Or just pray as you like. But he says in this portion now, you say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means you pray for the pastor, you pray for Roger, you pray for the church, you pray for all these needs around you, you pray for your work, you pray for your career. You pray for the people at work that they'd be saved. And it is a wonderful thing to pray for years for people at work and see them saved. Choose the hardest one you can imagine and pray for them. Pray for them for five years and see what the Lord takes them through to draw them to Himself. This is the time you do that. Then He says, then you pray in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. You pray for yourself, for your finances, for the care of your own home. Give us this day our daily bread. I am like you, most of you. No mineral rights underneath my house. I work for a living, like most of you. And sometimes I wonder how I'm ever going to get through from month to month. But I've been married almost 23 years, and it's been like that every 20 of those 23 years. But we get through. And as I look back, I see the faithfulness of God. This is where you pray. How mundane. But Jesus said, no, you pray for this. Pray that God gets a hold of your heart. Lord, get a hold of my heart this day. I have this meeting today. Let me speak right words. Let me be kind to this person. Lord, I've been, I just haven't had a right attitude of work at work. Lord, work in my heart. This day, pray for your needs this day. This is an outline to keep you on track, to keep me on track in prayer. This is where he takes us. Then he says in verse 12, Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. You know, many people say you have to start by just repenting of every known sin. That's not what it says. It says you start. I start by going into my inner room and first praise God. After I'm done praising God and thanking Him for who He is, then I pray for the needs around me. Then I pray for my own needs. Then I ask forgiveness. You don't like that order? Take it up with Jesus. This is what He said. This is what He said. He said, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Powerful. Look down in verse 
14 and 15 of the same chapter. For if you forgive one another their transgressions, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Uh Uh-oh. If you forgive others, your heavenly Father will forgive you. If you don't, He won't. How much more clearly does He have to tell us? How much more emphatically does Jesus have to speak concerning this thing of forgiveness? In Mark 11.25 it says, Whenever you stand and pray, forgive. For if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive your transgressions. Because if you do not forgive, your Father will not forgive you. How explicit does He have to be? I heard a lady say, I will never forgive that man, and I just wanted to get back. Didn't want to even be close to what was going to come upon that believer. Jesus says that we will come before the throne of God, and He will say, forgiven or unforgiven, based on how we ask, how we forgive others. That's what it says. In the same way that you forgive, you'll be forgiven. Why would He do that? Because we prayed it. Because we said, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. So God says, okay, I'll take you at your word. I'll forgive you the same way. In the same chapter, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 4, it says, your father who sees in secret. Verse 6, your father who sees in secret. Verse 18, your father who sees in secret. God sees everything. Everything. Those who struggle so often, most deeply, with an issue of forgiveness are those who have been abused as children. Or they've been raped or molested. They say, you don't know what I've been through. They say, you're right, I don't. I don't know what you've been through. But there is a man who had his hands and his feet nailed to a piece of wood, who had had his beard plucked out, who had been beaten to near death and now was hanging on the cross. He says, oh, by the way, Father, before my spirit is given up, please forgive those people who just pounded those nails in my hands. They didn't know what they were doing. And forgive those that just beat me to near death because they didn't know what they were doing either. And it is He who asks us to forgive. It is He who requires forgiveness in our lives toward others. It is not me. It is Him. It is He who draws us to this place. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12. Sometimes we say, well, you don't know about that person who's just dumping on me right now. Well, look. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12. And we toil, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. Look what, look what the Apostle says. Look what Paul says. He says, when we are reviled, we bless. When we, are, when we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We answer kindly. 
We don't file suit. Slander is a hard thing to take. Jesus said we are to speak kindly to those who even slander us. Jesus calls us to a place of forgiveness that's deep. And one of the ways to begin to walk in a right manner towards someone is to do, think about what you would do for them if you really love them. This is what Watchman Nee says. And he gives the antithesis of this. He says, you take Germany in the 1930s. They hated the Jews. And so what they did is some Germans threw stones through their store windows. Did that satisfy their hatred for the Jews? No, it made it worse. And so they then took them and they put them in a ghetto area. Did that then satisfy it? No, it made it worse. And so they took them and they put them into a concentration camp. Did that satisfy it? No, it made their hatred more intense. And then they killed them. You would think that it would have satisfied it then. But no, it made it worse. The opposite is also true. You do for somebody, think about what you would do for them if you loved them. So if I'm having difficulty with somebody, I say, well, what would I do if I, if I really love them? What I'd, I'd call them and invite them to lunch. And I do that. And guess what? We have lunch, and I like them more. It's really quite amazing. Jesus calls us to conciliate. This is what He's called us to. In Luke chapter 6, verse 27, it says, But I say to you who hear... Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Luke 6, 27 and 28. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. So specifically, the command here is, if somebody mistreats you, the obligation then is to pray for them. You must insert them into this prayer time. You be mean to me? All right. You're entering into my prayer time. That's the command. You bring them into your prayer time. Someone curses you, you're to bless them. I was telling this to my son Ben. Some, he plays in the city soccer league and kids were saying things to him and I, I saw him say to them, God bless you. He's catching on. He's got the right idea. You know, in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 5, it says that David's conscience bothered him because he cut off the edge of Saul's garment. There was this man, Saul, that was out to kill David, but David still respected his position as king. God brought Saul into a cave. Saul didn't know David was hiding in there. David's men said, kill him, just kill him now. And David had, you know, just killed hundreds of Philistines. It wasn't anything for him to kill a man in, in war. But he couldn't raise his sword against King Saul, so he just cut off the edge of his garment. And that bothered his conscience. You know, his men are like, what is your problem? It's just a little, you should have taken off his head. Just a little bit of his, his robe bothered him, bothered his conscience. God has given us a conscience that is to get hold of us and we are not to be so seared in our conscience that we no longer listen to it. If you look in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. 1 Timothy 1, 5. 
First Timothy chapter one, verse five. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a conscience and a sincere faith. The goal of our instruction, the goal of our instruction is three things. Timothy is saying we're instructing people in three things. Love, a good conscience, and faith. A good conscience is one of them. And if you look in the same chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19. Verse 19, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. If we do not maintain a good conscience, our faith goes shipwrecked. And if you don't believe it, there's two guys listed right after that whose faith was lost because they did not maintain a good conscience. When I'm about to send out a fiery email, my ears just start to burn and I know that I'm about to do something that I'm going to regret that I'm going to have to go and do makeup work for, asking people to forgive me. And so I just blot out the name and I put in my own name and I send it to myself. And then the next day when I read that, I think, oh, I am so glad I didn't send that out. You say, how do you, how do you, you're really good, how do you know that? Because of so many mistakes, I know that. And I send it to myself, and the next day I'm thinking, why on earth would I want to say this to somebody? And I just totally rework it. Because God wants us as believers to live differently. We are to be different than the world. Now again, back in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, the next bullet point. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He says the whole thing around this, you better end your prayer time with this that God protects you from temptation and delivers you from evil. Watchman Nee, the great Chinese believer who died in prison after spending over 20 years in prison, locked up there for his faith, he wrote this concerning this very passage. The Lord, well, the Lord knew only too well that those who are devoted to the will of God will become involved in fierce hostility. That those who pray kingdom prayers will inevitably draw upon themselves satanic attacks which will threaten their very existence. Our homes are under attack today. We are to ask God to protect them. Let me give you an example. Because the Scriptures clearly say we are not in a physical battle. We are in a spiritual battle. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against forces of darkness against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. That's who our battle is against. And let me bring it more clearly home. If a man is at work and dwelling all the time on a woman other than his wife, he is involved in a spiritual battle. And in his prayer time, he has to cry out to God, God, have mercy on me. And have mercy and protection on my marriage. You may think, well, that woman is so nice to me and my wife is always getting on my case for this and that woman is so nice to me, she says nice things and my wife's always telling me this. If you put that woman through what you put your wife through, she'd be saying the same thing as your wife. <laughs> Got to get a hold of our hearts. Oh man, if you're flirtatious with women, 
You flirt with them at work. Ask God to protect your marriage. You are involved in a deep spiritual attack. Women, if you resent your husband, you have opened yourself up to spiritual attack. And if you think of things that cause further resentment of your husband, you are involved in a deep spiritual attack and your marriage is threatened. And if you are receiving of flirting at work and kind of enjoy that, your marriage is threatened. This is a deep spiritual battle and I have seen it many, many times in people around me, in colleagues, in graduate students. And I have seen extramarital affairs and I have seen the devastation of it on both sides, both men and women. This is not something that's reserved just for men. When we get in our times, God says, just remember, before you close this thing out, remember to pray. Do not lead us into temptation. Lord, keep me from temptation and deliver me from evil. God, have mercy on my wicked heart. For I am opening myself up and my marriage up and my home up to deep spiritual attack. And I say this because I've seen it. And I know these thoughts that race through the mind of a human being because I've been there. My mind is no different than your mind. What you struggle with, I struggle with. Where you are, I have been or I am. I've been married almost 23 years. Worked very hard on my marriage. We've lived in seven states in 23 years. We've seen five professional marriage counselors through those seven states. And we continue to see them whenever it's needed. And I thank God for my wife who understands when we're not flowing together that we can both agree we need some help here. And that's in addition to help that we've gotten from the church. But if you worry about my marriage, come to my home. See how we flow together. See how we serve. See how we serve in ministry together. But we work at it. And if you have a marriage where there's one person that is passionate and intense about things, and I can't imagine who that would be in my marriage, there are things that might rise up. And it has helped me enormously because I know the spiritual attack that is on the home. And I see it all the time in believers and unbelievers all over. And we have to guard that and protect it. And it is a beautiful thing to be married to the wife of your youth. My wife and I reflect back over things that happened in graduate school together, people we saw together, people who were in our home. I could never do this with anyone else. I could never have these joys of all these years with anyone else. Protect that. And it says in Ephesians 4, verse 26, Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. If you don't, or if I don't, tend to these things, the devil slips in. It says explicitly, if you don't deal with this before the sun goes down, you know what's going to happen? You go to bed, you wake up, boom, the devil's foot is in the door. You don't like the sound of it? Talk to God. He wrote it. The devil's foot is in the door. 
And that's why when we come to this time, we say, Lord, do not lead me into temptation, but deliver me from evil. God, have mercy upon my marriage and deliver me from evil. This is the bullet points. This is how you do it. This will keep your mind on it. We are not supposed to just fly by the seat of our pants willy-nilly back and forth in prayer. Boom! This is how you do it. You fill it in with what you like under each one of these bullet points, Jesus says. But if you pray this way, your mind will be much more steadfast in prayer and you'll cover it. Then he says, end it in this way. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Just end it in praise. God, I thank you. I'm ready to take on the day. Some days I go into my prayer time, I am just a wimp going in there. And I come out like a roaring lion, ready to go. Here is the call. If you do not pray regularly, I challenge you for one month, ten minutes, using this format. Ten minutes, using the format Jesus has given us. What, do you want Him to give us another one, as I said? No, this is it. This is what He told us. When his disciples asked him, he said the same thing again. Boom, the same pattern. This is what we use. Challenge you 10 minutes a day for one month to use this format. And if you do, I'll bet 10 minutes won't be enough. You'll want more. And then for another 10 minutes, pick up your Bible and read it. Start reading it systematically. Read it from beginning to end. Pick up Matthew chapter 1 and start reading it. Read 10 minutes a day. Pick up where you left off reading the day before. It will be a tremendous help to you and your family. People will notice the difference in your life and you will notice the difference. That is the call. Let's pray. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Father, I pray that we would do as you have cried out and said. That we will come to you. If any man is thirsty, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Father, may we do as your son cried out. That we would come to him and drink. And Father, I pray that you would get a hold of our hearts. That we would learn to walk in prayer as you would have us walk. That we would follow the pattern that Your Son laid down for us. And Father, that You would take our hearts and mold them into Your ways. Father, that we would learn to walk in forgiveness. And Father, for that person or those people here who are challenged by that, who have been so hurt by someone, Father, I pray that they would learn the grace of forgiveness. that they would proclaim forgiveness and say, Lord, I forgive them. Even if they don't feel it, they would speak it, and then, Lord, You work it into their lives. And Father, I pray for the man who it was racing through his mind, these images of the woman he dwells on. Father, I pray that You would call him back to a place where he would beat his breast and say, Father, forgive me. Protect my marriage. For this is a spiritual attack. And for the woman who has been receiving those flirts at work and dwelling on on her husband and, and, and resenting him, Father, I pray 
that You would cause her to come back to You and repent before You and say, God, protect my home. And Father, I pray that You would draw us to a place where we would be crying that out each morning in our own time. God, protect our home from this spiritual attack. Protect my mind and keep me from temptation. Deliver me from evil. Keep me from that place and deliver me from that place that would cause me to stumble. And Father, I pray that You call us into a deeper walk and a deeper place. Because as Paul said, I am afraid for You that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so too Your minds would be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Jesus Christ. Father, that we would understand the simple outline, the simplicity of the outline to draw us into prayer. I commit this to You, Father. Amen.